Welcome to episode 70 of the Becoming Human podcast. In this episode, I speak with Maverick, a kettlebell strength coach at Maverick's Fieldhouse in Longwood, Florida. As I got into kettlebell training, I wondered what it would be like to spend years perfecting movement patterns, refining your breathing techniques, and the effective use of your muscles. And to what secondary effects would it have on your life in general? Maverick had a wealth of information on kettlebells, effective training routines, and considering the reason why you train in the first place. So without any further ado, here's Maverick. I got into kettlebells basically from an injury uh, training with um, a barbell. And basically what happened is uh, my coach told me that, hey, why don't you try the kettlebell out for rehabilit- or rehabilitation purposes? And I was like, all right, so I'll give that a, a, a try. And then uh, the more and more I used the kettlebell, the more I found that it just came really, really natural to me as far as uh, using it. Uh, I had no real instruction on how to use the kettlebell except for just trial and error and uh, doing some uh, research on my own part to get better at it. Were you you lifting? uh, So how long have you been weightlifting before you got into the kettlebell? Uh, I started lifting in 1998. Uh, I was 17 going on 18 and Mm -hmm. got into into powerlifting, did that from 98 to uh, 2010, and then I did some CrossFit uh, for about – Three and a half, three and a half, almost years, uh, and then that that transition of three and a half to four years. That's when I got my injury, uh, where I tore my groin doing um, some front squats, and uh, and I, you know, I was just squatting based off of you know what I was seeing and taught with a with a vertical toe stance when uh, learning from my injury. <laughs> You don't squat with, with, with vertical toes. You squat with a, with an angle to them. And, uh, over time and, uh, pushing it, it just, it just blew on me. And then, uh, mm-hmm. I started kettlebells in, um, 20, 2015, like just before 2015 started. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. go ahead. No, you're good. Go ahead. Um, so I started the kettlebells in 2015, and my coach, uh, after I got really in, in, intrigued into it, she says, why don't you look into Strong First? And mm-hmm. I started going into Strong First uh, as far as my my uh, what I wanted to to mirror because I liked what they what they presented as far as uh, how they viewed strength and how they viewed fitness and so on and so forth. So. How, how does strong first? Uh, how, how does strong first uh, view strength and fitness? Strong first, strong first uses strength. Uh, I, the best way to to correlate it to strength would be that they use it for um, similar to like being a farmer. So hmm. you want to be able to you want to be able to lift consistently. So you don't do too much and you don't do too little. So you just Every day you tackle a few a few movements 
and you get better at those. And then once you're better at those and you've built up a, a solid lifting platform for the press or the snatch or the get up, then you can move into more advanced movements uh, like the bench press uh, or your double get ups or double snatches and things of that nature. But at the, at the root of it, you have to build a solid foundation before you can add anything onto that, to that house. So I, I kind of lift like like a farmer, and I just tend to my field every single day, and um, and just and just get it get it bigger and bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger and stronger. I imagine you get to understand the nuances to an individual move, like a swing, right? Because it looks very basic from the outside, but doing it, I imagine there's all these little aspects of it that become so important as you begin to master such a movement. Yeah, with any movement, the if your if your footing isn't isn't proper, then you're not going to be able to accomplish the movement uh, at the highest efficiency of it. Because um, with the swing, um, if if you're not rooted into the ground, then everything after that is just going to uh, cookie crumble. So mm-hmm. yeah, over the time of of lifting and, and training with the kettlebells. Uh, the, the one movement that you have to master uh, is it has to be the, the swing because it builds into every single kettlebell movement that there is um, due to the fact that to be able to use the kettlebell, you have to pick it up. And an efficient way to pick it up is, is a swing. So you, you started, you went and got certified and uh, uh, strong first for coaching? Yeah, so I got strong first certified. Uh, uh, a few years back, 2016, had uh, went down to Miami, uh, got level one, and then I hosted a level two certification at my gym uh, in May. So I got level one and level two certified. And then last year, 2017, in November, back down in South Florida, I got Beast Tamer. Um, so that was that was a pretty good pretty good monumental feat of strength right there. Mhm. Oh wow. And how long have you owned your own gym for? I have had my own gym since 2012. We started out uh as a business and uh with a partner. I was started out as a CrossFit gym. And then uh we we me and my business partner we uh we we separated uh went our own ways and then i changed it over to more of just like a strength and conditioning gym and uh last summer we we changed it over to the field house and we took on the principles of just traditional lifting with a little bit of um modern flair on it so because you know at, at the end of the day you have to you kind of have to give a little bit of a wow factor to uh, to the audience that's that's checking you out, but keep that wow factor doable so that they can feel confident enough to to give it an attempt. And uh, the one thing that I the one thing that I like to for for my followers and for for the fans of the Fieldhouse to understand is that that if they have any questions on any movement, that they're more than welcome to to contact me um, to, to get that information because. At the end of the day, all I'm trying to do is get a kettlebell in in every person's hand. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it seems like you're almost like a natural for that mentor role. Have you always found yourself um, helping other people and uh, um, in integrating techniques? 
Uh, yeah, ever since I started working out, uh, I was in the Air Force for seven years. Uh, Any time that I found myself at a gym uh, on base, I would usually uh, slowly but surely I would start to build up like a a, a, a gym entourage per se, <laughs> and uh, you know people would start to you know flock around me like, hey, what's up, F? What are you what are you doing? Um, and I'd be like, yeah, you want to jump in? And uh, I would just kind of. Uh, start coaching him and telling me, like, all right, listen, you want to you want to try to do this because it's you know, yeah, I've gone through some some trials and tribulations as I've trained and you know injuries here and injuries there, but uh, at the end of the day, there, there's really no bad repetition that you can ever do because you're either going to progress from it or you're going to learn from it. Um, mm-hmm. So, and the goal is to not repeat what you just did and, and get injured again. So, um, as far as injuries on my part, I've had. Uh, I've had I've had a, a handful of them, and some have been due to trading under an ego in my earlier days, and then being like, okay, cool, I need to slow down, I need to take a little bit of a deload. So now I I implement a deload week every every fourth week of training, where uh, I take all the the loads from my normal lifting regimen and bring it down to you know, 50% or so, and uh, um, just work on movement patterns, and, and I implement more mobility, because as we age, you know, if, if the joints and ligaments and tendons are not uh, up to par, then, and the muscles are very, very strong, the, the ligaments and tendons are just going to, they're going to they're gonna snap on you, and that's, that's usually where we get injured at. I see, and so uh, for deloading is, um, that practice is just to get those movement patterns down more, or does it allow your body to recover? Um, deload for me uh, is going to be allowing the muscles to recover and still mm-hmm. keeping them still keeping them active. Uh, okay. So so the so the fluid, the juices, and everything is still flowing, uh, but but making your focus not on your your main goal which is to get stronger um more mm-hmm. or less making it on your make it on your secondary goal which is to get yourself internally stronger uh and sometimes uh-huh. you have to take a break break from the external to build the internal and what does uh an internally strong person look like to you uh somebody with with a high mental capacity to understand uh the lift and what the purpose of the lift is, creating that neuromuscular connection uh, when you when you're doing a swing, not just swinging for reps, but actually swinging to feel the muscle engagement uh, in the, the posterior chain, uh, feeling the contraction of the muscle uh, throughout every single repetition, and uh, focusing on breath, not allowing your heart rate to go through the roof because you understand to breathe in the nose and out the mouth and not huff and puff like you're trying to, you know, sprint from, from a pack of wolves or something. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's creating, uh, creating mental toughness. I, I find that the more mentally strong we are as human beings, the easier physical things become uh, on a daily basis. And so as you have moved along in your strength and conditioning um, training, have you been able to uh, – contract and engage a more muscles um, in a movement? Like, did your body intelligence increase? Were there more resources at your disposal? Or does it stay relatively the same? 
Now, that's increased since using the kettlebell, and it's, it's even further increased since using the mace uh, and the clubs. Um, just due to the fact of that that sensation when you grasp something, uh, where the, the hand has got the most the, is the most sensitive part of the body, the hand and the feet. Uh, this is the reason why I train barefoot, so I can get a, a true feel of of the ground that I'm on. And when you grab something, you, you want to feel that, that piece of equipment in your hand uh, and then it let it, allow it to trickle through the body. Uh, and that's where you're going to feel your forearm contract, your, your bicep contract, your lats contract as you do a press or uh, maintaining a packed shoulder as you do a snatch or not overreaching in the shoulder uh, while you're doing a Turkish get-up, um, maintaining abdominal contraction and pressure as you do a goblet squat, not allowing your, your hips to cave so you can bounce out of, out of the, the bottom position of a squat. Um, so as far as has my mental capacity evolved from the kettlebell, uh, tenfold, man, uh, far, far more than the barbell uh, had, had ever done. So because when I lifted with a barbell, I lifted very egotistically. You know, it was how heavy can I deadlift? How heavy can I squat? How heavy can I bench? And and then I was like, what's my reasoning behind this? Why I, I don't I don't I don't want to be a competitive lifter. I just want to be strong so life becomes easier. Mm-hmm. And um, is it hard to catch yourself in those moments in which you become indulgent in like you know I want to lift the heaviest thing? I find myself in those those times as well. But uh, do you do you have um, some coping strategies to like? to set yourself right when you've noticed that? Yeah. Uh, one of the, that I, I guess you could say a suppressant to going heavy is having 100% confidence that that lift will be perfect. And also I take into consideration that I don't lift one rep maxes hardly ever. Uh, I find that if I'm going to lift something, I should be able to lift it at least uh, four to six repetitions. Uh, because I, I, I just don't feel as if I need to do one rep maxes uh, for the simple fact that you only have so many one rep uh, attempts in your life because of, of the actual load that it puts on your CNS. And um, unless you're going to be a competitive lifter, then you don't really need to implement that into into your training regimen. Um, you know, we're just – at the end of the day, anybody who's in fitness – is really just trying to look better naked, and yeah, or, or look or, or look better in a look better in a bathing suit, uh, or, or you know when they see themselves in the mirror, they they have confidence, not uh, walk by the mirror with their towel on above their above their chest or or you know above their their waist, depending on mm-hmm. um, you know what gender you are, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. whatever whatever you look like, there there's you're going to be able to create the best version of that body. But you may never have, you, as, a, as a male, you may never have great calves. You just may be mm-hmm. genetically disposed to having smaller genetically shaped calves. But that doesn't mean they can't be the riftest, you know what I mean, <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that you yeah. can get. Um, mm-hmm. And that just comes down to, to, to training efficiently. And I use the word training because you, you can train your body to – to get it to be wherever you want. Uh, working out is just, in my opinion, it's just mindless. There's You're just working out, and it really just it describes what it is. You just worked out your body. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel better when I say I trained my body or I trained my mind to speak another language. And mm. um, you can you can you can really correlate those two if you think with that mindset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why I was asking you about um, that body intelligence because what I've found uh, growing up, I, I never did any strength and conditioning. I just kind of you know hung out and bounced around and stuff like that and drew a lot. Um, However, when I started doing it, it was almost like learning a language, as in my mind was able to more accurately communicate with my body. Correct. And that that level of communication gave me um, a deeper satisfaction and interest. And also, uh, on a day-to-day basis, if I felt like crap, it wasn't just like some general word of crap. It's like, oh, this you know, this muscle's hurting me, or, oh, I, I should have eaten a little bit different. Like, it's, you're more aware of what's going on internally. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just like it, you know, people, when when they don't eat, if they choose to, to not eat before they train. And and I sit there and I'm like, you know, that's fine if you're going to be doing, you know, intermittent fasting or something like that. But just know that you're not going to be able to train for three to five repetitions with heavy loads. You, you don't have any fuel in your body. Uh, you you wouldn't go on a road trip with a, a full tank of gas and no oil in your in your car. It's just, you're setting yourself up for failure. Um, when, when I when I go to train, I, I fuel my body with with the proper nutrients to be able to train. Um, you know, carbs, a little bit of fat, some protein, and I make sure to stay hydrated. And uh, and if if individuals who who strength train start to understand that food is a catalyst to to energy so they can lift the heavy the heavy loads that they want to and and, and decrease the volume of repetitions because you're looking for 10 quality reps not 50 50 reps and mm-hmm. um, you know I, I I tell people all the time I said if you can burn a uh, hundred calories doing 10 reps, or burn 100 calories doing 500 reps. Which one would you rather do? They're going to choose to lower every single time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, those are the things that you start to understand when you actually pay attention to how you feel when you're training and how you feel after you get done training, like you had mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about these uh, doing lower reps over the uh, higher reps, right around that 5 to 10 range, um, are what's it – is it training something uh, primarily, like um, is it training your efficiency, your power, or is it a combination of both with kettlebell? I would say it's a combination of both. Uh, I, I, As I train and as I evolve my kettlebell thought process and my mace process, I'm always looking for the most bang for buck with each movement. And I have found over – I have found that time under tension has – has has given me the best results with with uh, not to say minimal effort, but I don't have to to do as much. Uh, for an example, would be uh, maybe doing some double kettlebell cleans, uh, a set of four repetitions, and then uh, sustaining the last uh, double clean in a rack position for about twenty or thirty seconds, and. Um, and then doing that over the course of six uh, six sets. Okay. 
So, and then you're, and then during that time period right there, you have six sets, uh, of four, which is 24 repetitions. And then you have, you're accumulating three minutes of total time under tension in a rack position. So, uh, you're getting a lot of bang for buck right there in, in just one, uh, one training segment uh, of the mm-hmm. daily program. So when I was a kid, I would be uh, told by uh, my uh, parents, adults, like, you know, you got to work really hard, right? A high work ethic. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I've, I've learned pretty quickly that that's not necessarily the truth because working hard or just, you know, just putting in 100%. I mean, like, like if I do that in running, right, I'm going to get exhausted. My training's going to go downhill. If I do that in kettlebells, uh, it doesn't seem to be in my favor. So what does uh, a high work ethic or look like to you in training kettlebell? High work ethic. Um, that's a good question right there. Um, there's, there's, there's hard work and there's efficient work. Um, mm-hmm. Hard work would be building a deck with a hammer and a nail. Uh, efficient work would be uh, building a deck with uh, uh, like a nail gun, and and that's it. Because now you're working mm-hmm. more efficiently. So, um, in with efficient training, set your set whatever it is that you want to do, and and have a reason why you're doing it. Uh, and then that becomes efficient work right there. Uh, the other mm-hmm. thing to take into consideration is, is that if, if you're training for strength, then you have to be able to focus on the movement. And if your heart rate is through the roof, then that means you have not been focusing on your breathing patterns to match your, your, your repetition tempo. So, uh, I think that would be a way of working efficiently. That makes sense. Mm. How has um, working kettlebells affected your uh, your personal life, uh, whether that's, yeah, like your mindset? Um, I would say it, it, the, the, the kettlebell really calms you down um, mm-hmm. because – it's a it's a saying in the kettlebell world. It's you know it's enter the kettlebell or become one with the kettlebell. And uh, I tell all my students to earn your to earn your kettlebell and show every kettlebell love. Um, meaning that you know if you're going to want to press a 32 kilo, you, you need to demonstrate that you can press a 28. Um, you know, I in my opinion, I don't care if you can press a 24 for 10 reps. I still want to see you move the 28 before you move to the 32. So mm-hmm. it it calms you down. Uh, the kettlebell does. And aside from the fact that if you if you don't use it properly, it's going to bang you up. Uh, if you don't snatch mm-hmm. correctly, you're going to get bruises on your forearm. If you don't clean correctly, it's going to bruise you up. If uh, if you don't park the kettlebell correctly, you're gonna you're gonna drop the bell on your toe or your foot because. Uh, a vast majority of kettlebell enthusiasts do train barefoot or in, in some sort of very, very thin, minimal shoe. And you mentioned earlier that it's very important for you um, not to repeat the same mistakes um, consistently. So right. what are some um, practices that you do to cap- to catch yourself and keep yourself from repeating those mistakes? 
uh, <clears throat> movement prep prior to movement. Um, I may program a, a workout. I, I, I program my, my, my weeks on Sunday and, and I'll write it out on Sunday and I train four days a week or five days a week, uh, uh, Monday, Tuesday, off Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, off Sunday. And I'll program the whole week based off of what we need and what we don't need and what we haven't done. And let's say we do something on a Monday and on Tuesday, uh, I'm not feeling too well. And I, I know that I can goblet squat a, a certain load. And, but on that given day, I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm just not going to do that. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll regress my, my weight choice and then I'll slow down my tempo. And that right there will help re, reinforce movement pattern that'll help reinforce awareness, calmness, and, uh, thus prevent me from getting injured because, uh, I, if I've, if I've been injured during a movement, uh, then, then I'll remember it when I'm doing it. Now, uh, in hindsight to that, I have not been injured doing any kettlebell movements at all in wow. the last, yeah, I haven't, I've been injury free. The only injury I've sustained was during a obstacle course race, uh, where I, uh, I was traversing some, uh, some, uh, some hanging grip apparatuses and, you know, kind of like Tarzaning through them. And, <laughs> uh, I, I, I injured my bicep uh, there, but, uh, that's that's the only injury that I've sustained since 2015. Wow. So, and then I used I used kettlebells and I used mace to rehab my bicep, uh, and um, which which I partially tore, like very very partially tore uh, at the beginning of this year in in February. So now mm-hmm. I'm back to um, I, I I pretty much rehabbed it with kettlebells and mace in probably two to three months and now i'm starting to because a part of the first stages of rehab is building up the confidence to actually lift what you've been lifting and uh and then after that it goes into like okay cool now i got the confidence now i can start to lift and then i can get back into the flow of things but you're still aware of it and so anytime that i do do cleans that's that's going to have some bicep uh um engagement in it so i'm very very methodical with my with my setup i'm very methodical with my squat and um in 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 addition to these reasons why i'm so methodical it's because when i demonstrate these movements on instagram my intent is for the viewer to see the movement in its in its most proper form um Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of there's a lot of bad mechanics that are being taught uh, inadvertently, and it's due to lack of knowledge of the movement. Um, for uh, for example, if an individual is taught uh, a, a specific way to do a windmill, and um, and he's taught by somebody who has deemed himself a master instructor, um, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that like to call themselves that, even though they're not, and he's doing windmills, yet the whole time he is uh, he's tearing up his, his thoracic. He's uh, he's tearing up his QLs, and he doesn't even know he's doing this because he thinks he's doing it correctly. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, the uh, yeah, it's just, it's it's that's yeah. So that's that's a struggle that I have with with seeing that kind of movement out there, uh, <laughs> unknowingly improper form. Yeah, and um, I imagine it's a, for anyone who's going into uh, kettlebells, 
using uh, the your rate of injury as a metric of success as opposed to how quickly you're moving up the weight would probably be ideal in some fashion for quality. Yes, I I, I, I would say so. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. I, the only bru- bumps and bruises you're going to get from a kettlebell is during your first you know couple weeks of of snatches and cleans and starting mm-hmm. to build up that 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 callus and that 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 density in uh, the, uh, the anterior side of the forearm and, and then building up wrist strength and so on and so forth and, and calluses on the hands. But those right there, those are superficial, uh, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, injuries or, or like pains. Like, I, I guess you could call them growing pains per se. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, have your injuries, uh, given you increased insight? I heard you mention that you focused on the movement patterns even more in response to that bicep injury. Yeah, yeah, they have, and they've really built up my awareness, and and they've they've uh, encouraged me to uh, dive deeper into uh, understanding movement prep movement prep for specific movements, and making sure that uh, that I um, induce uh, pre activation drills so that my hips are firing, so that my my glutes are firing, and uh, you know, if I'm going to be doing some swings, I'll make sure that I do some uh, some dead bugs, uh, some single leg uh, bridge holds, uh, maybe with a band, and, uh, and get those get those muscles uh, live and, and awake. Because you know, you don't want to put on a load on on your on your butt if it's if it's not awake. And there's a lot of what's called glute amnesia, where you know, an individual maybe doing a kettlebell swing. And the only thing that's firing is their lower back and their quads because they don't know how to how to how to squeeze or engage their glutes. So it's good to do pre-activation drills prior to any sort of hip hinge or any sort of kettlebell movement. What does a pre-activation drill look like? Um, for let's say for a press. Uh, uh, yeah. For a press, okay. So a pre-activation drill for, for a press for me would be doing some uh, some crawling, uh, waking up the, the shoulder girdle, uh, some handstand holds, uh, maybe a little bit of uh, primal movement, and uh, some mace. Uh, the mace is just going to get the synovial fluid moving into the joint and get the, the ligaments and tendons uh, primed and ready to rock and roll. The crawling is going to build up mental awareness. So when I do have a, a heavy bell in the rack position, I'm aware of where it's going, and the handstand is just going to is just going to wake up that that, that weight load over my head without actually going and grabbing a kettlebell uh, and, and and putting them up over my head. Are those very important for you to do, or uh, an important recommendation for your students before they go into doing a kettlebell exercise? Yeah, I I, I very much think so. Uh, it's just it's it's prevention of injury. Uh, not guaranteed prevention of injury, um, but it's it's in my opinion it can it can prevent injuries from happening because let's just say you are doing some crawling and uh, and you start to feel something kind of cranky going on in your shoulder uh, and then you may go and be like okay let me go and do some release movements and then you're like nah shoulders just not feeling really good today now you can quickly back out of uh, a crawl. Uh, you can you can quickly uh, back out of any kind of body weight movement, 
if you have a kettlebell or a barbell or anything that you're using in that front rack position and you go to press it over your head, and now you have to worry about the barbell putting it safely on the ground or the kettlebell putting it safely on the ground if you feel something tug or, or feel a little cranky. So movement prep is always beneficial to primary lifting. Mm-hmm. And if have you ever experienced boredom, or if one of your students would come to you feeling boredom, um, what would be your advice to them? I ask them why you're here. Uh, mm-hmm. They come up and, and they're, they're like, "Hey, coach, is there any way we can do some, you know, some running? I just feel like I'm not losing enough weight. I'm not getting the gains like I used to." And I say, okay, first thing I say is, uh, why, you know, why are you here? Are you enjoying coming to the field house? And they're like, yeah, I love it here. Okay, cool. So you've plateaued with your strength. Okay, very cool. How are you eating when you come into the gym? Oh, well, normally I have, uh, you know, some lunch at noon. Okay, and then you're training at, at 5 o'clock. And they're like, yeah. So that's uh, at noon, 1230, it's four and a half hours of no food consumption. How is your hydration? Oh, I drink a little bit of water throughout the day. Okay, cool. Um, Would you say that when you started training, it was higher? You were eating a little bit more and drinking a little bit more water when you started as opposed to now? And you're like, yeah, I was, you know, I felt a lot better when I first started. Cool. So let's improve your hydration and let's improve Mm -hmm. your fueling your body prior to coming into the gym so you can actually have a good workout and you can hit those PRs that you're looking for and get that level of strength to rise um, mm-hmm. because gaining strength it, it, it doesn't happen in moments it happens in just it, it just happens over time and I tell people all the time that you just can't go and do a crash fitness routine why mm-hmm. um, you can get you know get shredded and all this kind of crash diet and stuff because you want to get ready for a wedding or or, or whatever or cruise or something like that and, and then what? You, you're going to go back to what you looked like before? Why, why would you do that? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like that doesn't make any sense to me. So in, impose a, a will that you will live a fitness lifestyle. And mm-hmm. it's really easy to do. Um, I mean, once you build up the routine, once you build up a good, strong habits, um, it's, it's pretty simple to do. So, And mm-hmm. then you, as, as you evolve with, as you evolve with your fitness journey and new techniques and, and new creativity uh, comes to the forefront, that's when new movements start to come, come, come to life. And, you know, you can start to, to pair, uh, um, you know, kettlebells with primal movements or kettlebells with mace or with body weight or with time under tension here or, or adding in some jump rope sections here. And at the end of the day, you're trying to create flow. Um, and flow is transitioning from one movement seamlessly into another movement. Uh, like, um, it, it wouldn't make sense for, for somebody to call a flow going from kettlebell swings to jump rope because those don't flow together. That's, that's, mm-hmm. That would be considered like, like a superset or, or, or something like that. But if you do some swings and then into a goblet squat, those transition into each other right there. And, um, and that's another thing that I find is that, you know, some people are, are improperly naming, uh, kettlebell flows and, mm. um, and they, sh- and they should be naming them, you know, uh, um, supersets or, 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 or actually specifying that it is a body weight kettlebell 
uh, complex, you know what I mean, or, mm-hmm. or uh, something along those lines. We all have different vocabulary for, for what we call things, but as long as it's consistent across the board, I think that'll help out the individual that is trying to get into the realm of kettlebell and calisthenics and mace uh, feel mm-hmm. a bit more confident when they're attacking their daily program. Yeah, I I saw your flow that, that you put out. Um, I think you're one of seven coaches uh, who is putting out yeah. flow each, for each day of the week. And I've never mm-hmm. seen a flow like that before with the figure eight where you, what, do the swing and then you reach uh, between your legs and pull the kettlebell up into the rack position. <laughs> but that was like you it was like watching a dancer. <laughs> did you notice how did you notice how it looked like the bell was on a single stream line the whole entire yeah. time? Mm-hmm. That's that's kettlebell flow right there. That's when it mm-hmm. looks like it's when the bell looks like it's on an infinite path where there's no kinks, there's no there's no there's no you know, barricades or anything like that. It just it it flows Seamlessly, and that's what I—that's what I—that's what I consider kettlebell flows right there. And that's that's beautiful because of the, the given that kettlebells are all ballistic, right? And you're taking momentum. You you literally see a seamless transition of momentum, and right. like that that in and of itself. I've even just been sitting there working at that, not a flow necessarily, but just being able to uh, to take any of the momentum right of, of the kettlebell and to remove all of the clunkiness of it. And I've spent months on that. And there's just like little bits of progress. And that's why it confuses me when some people talk about boredom with like routines, because it just even seems in the smallest of movements, there's so much to learn. And it's so exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun. Um, I, now that movement right there, there, the part where it goes between your legs and around, that's, that's a, I call it a figure eight. Uh, and mm-hmm. then, and then as you come around with the bell and you transition it over to the other hand, I call that a tactical clean. And I actually learned that movement from one of my, one of my students online. Wow. Really? And, the re- the, and that movement actually comes from, uh, a, a fighting, um, a, a punch that you would throw, mm-hmm. um, uh, either a left or a right hook to the body. Mm-hmm. Oh. So my my student is a my student is a Muay Thai fighter, and and I saw him doing this, and then I added in some other uh, movements to it, uh, to to give it a little bit more flair. And but that the, the the one of the things that I love about the kettlebell is that it really really complements fighters, and mm-hmm. um and making making their fighting, uh their their kicks and their punches that much stronger. With with not a lot of heavy, not a lot of load, uh, with the kettlebell. So mm-hmm. if you when you watch the video again, when I when I bring it around that hip, you'll see that I come from the body to throw that bell into the opposite hand in the rack position, and you're just mm-hmm. building up that width right there. And obviously, the heavier you go with that movement, the more torque you're going to build in, in in the body. Mm-hmm. And I, I have definitely noticed it's helped in uh, martial arts. Um, that's kind of how I got into kettlebells is I heard that it was a very effective training tool for martial arts and I was doing a lot of barbell work prior, but then when I got into kettlebell, uh, it gave me that, that same joy that I have where it's like with martial arts, you feel like you're dancing and yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolute truth right there. <laughs> and so 
So, so if you uh, have, I know that you do offer like some online coaching and, and stuff like that. Um, if an individual doesn't have the opportunity to take a class, right, and they're trying to learn these techniques, what have you found is the best way to integrate techniques from watching them online? Well, the way that I approach a student that uh, is very novice with the kettlebell, uh, I do I do one or two options. I offer them to do live coaching uh, at a rate, and I also offer um, uh, sending me tutorial videos, and and I'll just critique them, and I and I don't charge for that um, because again, my my goal is my goal is to get a kettlebell in everybody's hand, and uh, and, and using it correctly, so. Vast majority of the people that do contact me have kettlebell knowledge. Um, the only dilemma that I've come across with some individuals is lack of accessibility to kettlebells. Um, so when I have that, um, I, like I had an individual who he said, hey, coach, uh, can you help me out with some programming? Uh, I'm kind of lost on what to do. I have a 16 kilo and I have a 32 kilo. And I have a pull-up bar and I have a jump rope. And I was like, all right. So you're going to be doing a lot of single stuff work, and I'm going to make that 16 kilo feel like it's 100 pounds with with the type of movements that we're going to uh, implement using using the lighter bell. And um, so as far as like being creative to to help the individual based off the equipment that they have, I find that I have a high success rate with doing that. And then the, the individuals that I do go live one on one with. That right there is uh, – there'll be some pre-knowledge that they need to have going into it so we can maximize on the time. Uh, mm-hmm. And the, 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 pre, uh, the pre-steps to it would be understanding the basics of, of the kettlebell, like the, the deadlift, the goblet squat, the Turkish get-up, uh, the clean, the, the press, the front squat, the one-arm press, and the single-arm snatch. And all all my intent on that is for them to have that knowledge and maybe have gone through those movements a few times. So when we do do the the, the fitness assessment and the movement um, tutorials live, they're not at loss and we're not wasting time um, mm-hmm. because time is valuable to everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a beginner, um, what is your recommendation for the minimum effective dose in uh, training kettlebell? I, I base, I base, uh, like the, the, the weight loads or, or, or what uh, you're trying to say? Uh, weight loads and also, uh, or mainly, mainly volume. Like if someone's looking, okay, how many days a week, uh, should I spend on kettlebells to get the most out of it? Well, to get the most out of kettlebell training, I would say, mm-hmm. um, at least, at least four, uh, four or five times a week of anywhere between 30 minutes to an hour, depending on how much time you have. If, you, if you've only got 30 minutes, then you should be just working on uh, quality of movement and sustaining longer time under tension through each movement. Uh, if you have a longer amount of time, then you can start to add in more cardiovascular training into it. So, uh, so you start out with, with some, some main lifting, and then you can go into some some complexes or things of that nature, or maybe some ladder drills, uh, and then you just you can evolve your your strength from just from from brute intelligent strength to brute intelligent cardiovascular uh, endurance uh, strength. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as far as the weight uh, loads, 
Mm-hmm. As far as the weight loads, I, I, I base weight loads uh, off of the, the individual's body weight and, um, and their ability to, if they can, if they can get the kettlebells or they have, uh, like get as in buy or they have the access to the kettlebells. So for an individual that weighs between, uh, I would say 160 and 200 pounds, um, I would recommend that they have, uh, sets of kettlebells ranging from 16 kilos all the way up to 32 kilos and at least one heavy kettlebell to swing and to squat, uh, to, to two-hand swing and to goblet squat, like a, uh, uh, like a 48 or, or, or a 44 kilos, somewhere around in there. Um, and then because if we're going to be doing heavy swings, the, the individual can do, can do high-volume swings with the 48, and if they need to go heavier, then you can just start doing, doing double kettlebell swings um, because – Bells are expensive, so we have to make the most out of what we have uh, to 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 make to make it efficient for our for our training session. Yeah. And then, as far as women, um, women who range from maybe say uh, 100 and 130 pounds to to let's say 170 or something like that, or or even 200 pounds. Um, I would recommend that they have kettlebells ranging from uh, 12 kilo. Uh, or, or 26 pounds, uh, all the way up to um, uh, 24 kilo or 53 pounds, and then have an additional heavy kettlebell for, for swings and for squats of possibly like a, a 36 kilo, 80 pound, or, or a 40 kilo, 88 pound bell. In addition to that, I, I always recommend that they have some sort of a pull-up bar or a uh, TRX uh, body weight suspension type of movement to counter some of the kettlebell movements. And how do you know when you're ready to move up in weight? If you can give me a give me a movement that you, that you for example. Uh, let's say the uh, just the swing. How to move up in the swing? If you can. The, the first goal for my students is to be able to swing half body weight for, uh, for 10 repetitions. That's the first goal for them. And, uh, and the, the ways of building up that is, um, is, is progressing the swing from a low to a medium to a Russian, uh, to a Russian kettlebell swing. And, um, now as far as like getting there, great mm-hmm. ways to build up that is going to be ensuring that they have uh, a strong grip, strong core, and uh, a strong posterior chain and, and, and legs. So if those things are being built efficiently, then the two-hand swing will come at, at, at a high – it'll come very, very fast. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you don't have a good foundation, then you're not – I think, a, I think a, a, a great example of when to know go up, when to know to go up on a bell is the, is the press is the kettlebell press because that right there is is very hard. Uh, it's very hard mm-hmm. to take um, uh, double 32s and press them over your head as opposed to taking um, 60, 64 kilos and pressing that over your head on a barbell uh, with like mm-hmm. a couple 45s on the bar. You know, uh, 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 there's a wider wider range of individuals that can press 60 kilos over their head on a barbell mm-hmm. as opposed to the range of people that can take Two seventy or two um, uh, 
32 kilobells and press that over their head. So to be able to go up a bell um, and, and complete one repetition, you should be able to press the bell below at least five repetitions. Is that a strict press? Oh, yeah, strict press. Yeah, sure. unless you're trying to push. I mean, if you're if you're trying to push press the next bell up, then I mean, if you could, let's say if, let's say we're trying to to, to press the 32s for the 70s, and um, and you're working with the 28s, and and if you can press the 28s for five reps, you're going to be able to press the 32 for for at least two solid reps right there, depending on your your neuromuscular um, uh, taxing that you've had prior going into mm-hmm. it. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you're trying to do something for maximal effort, set yourself up for success. Don't don't go into it like, you know, at the end of your session, be like, oh, I want to press double 32s today because I think I feel good, as opposed to I know I feel good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as a coach, and what does mediocrity look like to you? And what are common steps to avoid that? Mediocrity. Um, what do you mean by that mediocrity? Mediocrity is uh, someone who who's training and um, they're plateauing. They're not getting the things that they want. They're uh, frustrated, not meeting their goals, um, and they do that for a long time. So they stay in this state of I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just working out to work out. Yes, exactly. So how do I how do I cope with that? Like for um, with a, a student. Yes, what would be your advice to them? Ask yourself what's your why? You know, mm-hmm. why why are you why why are you doing this? You know, it's uh what's your we're we're humans. We have to have goals. We have to have reasons behind what it is that we do or else just there there's no reason for doing it. And mm-hmm. um and if someone is training just with this mediocrity, then they're bored. Uh, they need to change their 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 type of training, uh, so they can find some some excitement in it. And if you're if you are a a great coach, a great mentor, and a great listener, because uh, oftentimes we hear but we don't listen, then you as a coach should be able to know why it is that they're they're not they're not feeling good and ask them. Um, you know, what is it that you want to do? And then if they could give you a wholehearted answer, then as a coach, you can work off of that. You know, and they're, they're like, coach, I'm just, I'm just tired of lifting all these heavy weights. It's killing me. My job is, my job is hard. Or, um, and I come in here and, and I want to lift and I want it, but I just feel like I can't. Okay, cool. Let's just slow it down. And let's just see if you can, you can do this in place of that. And then once your job or your, your home life gets better, then you can start to come back in and, and get back into lifting what you feel is is your best your best weight loads for those specific tasks. So um, that's that's very hard to to help an individual with because yeah. um, that has to do with their their mental capacity and mm-hmm. outside uh, uh, that has to do with outside interferences. Um, yeah, and those those are the things that you have to have as a coach. You have to be able to wear many hats and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and understand that that you know John may come into the gym and he may he may be having trouble at home with his home life and but his 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 zen or his happy place is the gym and mm-hmm. I think that that's good yet 
home and gym should match. Um, you know, it, every 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 human needs a release. They need an outlet so that they, they don't bottle up and, and they don't explode. And a great way to release that is through heavy lifting or or any sort of or any sort of training regimen that you like, whether it be running or swimming or something like that. We need to be able to release that that tension so you don't bring it home. Um, and uh, you just gotta be you just gotta wear many hats as as a coach. You can't be you can't be in this this field to be a millionaire. Yeah, it, it, it's it, because you, you can. You know, if you if you're great at marketing and everything like that, you you can you can do that. But for me personally, I mean, I've just lived fitness so much of my life that it's normal for me, and I really enjoy when I see somebody leave the gym happy and come to the gym happy and um, mm-hmm. you know invigorated and ready to rock and roll. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What's your relationship with discomfort? Discomfort? Yeah. Uh, in what way? Yeah, in terms of uh, mental and physical discomfort. Let's say you're uh, working kettlebells, right, and your body's completely uh, turned on. And in the sense that, like, your body's working, you can feel your heart pumping, you know, at 70%. Um, and uh, – with people who don't do exercise, right? Like that's, that's an intimidating thing, um, or uncomfortable. Like they're like, what, how would you like that? However, there's obviously euphoria behind that. But then you're also, when you're lifting these things, like the difficulty to, you know, focus on the task at hand while you're doing something invigorating, like that you could say is some level of mental discomfort, um, like the grinding phase. Um, (laughs) I, 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 I enjoy it. I enjoy mm-hmm. the, I enjoy the, the struggle of, of, of climbing up the mountain with, with my, with my two feet and my hands and, and nothing else. Uh, mm-hmm. no, no, no. About the only tool that I use for assistance is, uh, is chalk because it's so, so sweaty and, you know, hot and humid mm-hmm. here in Florida. Um, mm-hmm. but as far as dealing with the discomfort, uh, it, that's my that's my battle with myself. That's mm-hmm. that's that's me overcoming the 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 version of who I am and who I want to be, and mm-hmm. uh, and 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 that's how I, that's how I look at it right there. Um, the uh, you know it's you know <laughs> my my nickname is Maverick and it's been now for for quite some time and mm-hmm. uh, and and I find that I, I think I think that. If we have if we have nicknames um, when we go to the gym, that's who we can build right there and mm-hmm. focus on building that you know that nickname uh, uh, as a as a kind of like your own like um, self superhero or something like that or or something mm-hmm. that you're striving to be better at and mm-hmm. um, but I, I I enjoy discomfort because it, it's it, it's grit and it just makes you hard and it makes you makes you more aware and it makes you more determined and, and you need those type of those traits to be to be able to live a good life uh, because mm-hmm. you never know what's going to happen and uh, and if you build up that that level of being uncom- being comfortable in an uncomfortable situation you're not going to freak out you're going to be like okay this is what I got to deal with I'm either going to do or not and if I'm not then it could be life or death you know something like that. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
I, yeah, now that you've kind of put it like that, it's just a reminder for myself. I've had these scenarios where I would go into social scenarios um, and I'd be anxious, right? And sometimes I I would avoid doing those things. However, it, it seems it's through um, strength and conditioning or doing uh, you know, martial arts and doing things that are difficult that I work that muscle of overcoming initial discomfort and just sitting with it. You know, not running something. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, you know, training is hard, but it's the hard that's going to separate you from from everybody else in in a situation that's not in the gym. Uh, Mm -hmm. And if you can, if you get into a situation where you're in a social, you're in a social situation and you start to build up anxiety or you build up tension and all these things are seeds that you plant in your head and then your thoughts. Are, are what grow the, the what grows the, the anxiety or the tension. If you can start to if you can start to understand what the root of it is and focus on the root and then kill the root, then everything else after that is going to be just chill and calm, and you can just be like, okay, it's not so bad. Everything is fine. I can get through this because I understand what it is that I'm doing, and and I know that it's going to take a process to get to wherever it is, but. You just gotta, you just gotta remain that that sense of calmness, um, because there's no reason to get, there's no reason to, to flip out uh, at all uh, on anybody, um, because you know, in that moment where you flip out, you're projecting all of those, those seeds that you just planted in your head on somebody who has no idea that you just planted that garden of anxiety. Mm-hmm. I would argue it's important as well. Uh, not to flip out on yourself in terms of being the self-critic. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, don't beat yourself up if you if you failed on a press. Start to think about what happened, what what moments led up to that failure. What did what did you do too much of, and what didn't you do enough of? Because it's all about quality over quantity, and you may have done. You, you may have set yourself up for a PR for, for a double kettlebell press on Monday, but on Saturday you decided that you were going to beast out and do a beach workout and knock out 200 push-ups. And you didn't realize that a, a, a day of rest was not going to be enough for you to go in on Monday and be successful. So, you know, you don't press your, your double 32s, and it's not because you couldn't. It's because your body was just too taxed to do it on that given day. Uh, it's not to say you couldn't do it two days later. So. Those are the types of things that you that you that you start to create awareness of, and and then you don't beat yourself up or flip out on yourself, like you know, and criticize your 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 lack of strength, intelligence, or anything like that, because you know mm-hmm. everything happens for a reason. So <laughs> I like that, and I want to be respectful of your time, Maverick. So as a closing uh, topic, uh, what does a quality life look like for you? Uh, quality of life for me would be, uh, my, my life right now, um, my wife, uh, she's, she's, she's my mentor. She's my rock. She is, uh, the individual that I go to when, uh, I don't understand something because I'm a little bit quick to jump the gun sometimes. And, Mm -hmm. um, so to, to, uh, to ball that up, to, uh, quality of life would be to have a best friend or a wife or a partner that you can 
lean on when you aren't thinking clearly. Uh, another attribute to a high quality of life would be um, nutrition um, because food is such a big part on attitude, on, on, on how you feel, on the emotions you project. Um, so nutrition is a high, uh, a high attribute to the, my quality of life. And uh, obviously fitness uh, is, is in there as well, but also enjoying life. Don't, don't miss out an opportunity to eat a world famous cheesecake or don't miss out an opportunity when you, when you go to Chicago to have a deep dish or if you go to New York uh, or you go to Philly and have a Philly cheesesteak or, or if you go to Paris and you want to have a, a beignet, uh, don't miss out on those opportunities, but make those opportunities um, less frequent. So when you do have the opportunity to do it, it is very, very enjoyable and it is something that you look forward to. Um, so, uh, have a consistent life, but don't miss out on the, on the, on the, on the, the wows of life and, um, and use your fitness. If, if you're going to go to the gym and you're going to train and you're going to get strong and look fit, then put your fitness to, to use, you know, go, go for a hike or go for a bike ride or, you know, or, or go for, go backpacking, um, in, in Europe. And, and not worry about, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. You're fit. Why are mm-hmm. you being fit? Because you want to have a freaking badass life. That's it. Yes. I like that. And that's that's really helpful, too, because I've uh, been very particular about how I eat in the sense that I won't eat, you know, ice cream uh, regularly or any of that just because I want to feel good, right? Not because I want to meet this ideology and I, and I feel great and I love it. Um, however, I wrestle with it with my son because we go to Disneyland. And he's like, Oh, uh, let's have ice cream. I'm like, I'll get you ice cream. And then I caught myself. I'm like, what, what are you doing, man? You really, you, sometimes you just got to enjoy yourself. You do. And you like do, in, in that uh, aspect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. It's a, never miss an opportunity to relish in something wonderful with your child. Uh, you know, anything. I mean, you know, if my, I, I, I'm not a big fan of hot dogs, but if my son's like, hey, Dad, can we go have some hot dogs? I'm going to be like, all right, I'm probably going to regret this later, but, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a moment that it's, – it's, it's a moment. And um, in, in, um, in addition to your ice cream comment, my wife and I, we go get ice cream every Sunday. Uh, yep. It's our thing, it's, you know, and <laughs> – you know, we do that, and that's like our – that's the end of the week right there, and then it's Monday, and it's, it's you know, it's back on. We don't we don't have a diet. We just have a routine of what we eat, and mm-hmm. the food is – the food is purpose. The food is for a reason. It's not for pleasure. It's not for anything else but for purpose, and it's fuel. And if you can look at food as fuel during the week, then when you do – you know, chicken wings or pizza or beer or anything like that on Saturday or Sunday, then it actually shocks your system. And your body goes into this like, oh, what the hell is this? And it's like, this is cool. You made your tongue happy. You made your eyeballs happy. You made your belly <laughs> happy. But then it just gets rid of it. And then because Monday, your, your brain is telling your body, Monday, it's back on the grind. So it doesn't want that in there. So it's just <laughs> going to get rid of it for you. So you know, eat eat great Monday through Friday, and, and then, you know, live a little on Saturday and Sunday because it's the weekend. And what is the weekend? The weekend is a time to relax and kick back. Monday, 
through Friday, you work for whatever it is that you want. Mm. I like that outlook. And it's, that's very helpful too, because I do, uh, every Wednesday, my son and I go get a cookie at the farmer's market. And it's changed the relationship because I mean, with the relationship with yourself, you're right. Like food is a purpose. And if you restrain yourself to like, I can never have this. And man, that's like a, from the people that I've talked to, that's like a boomerang to where, you know, weeks or months down the road, it comes back to bite you really hard as extreme and overwhelming urges at times or just, yeah. you know, very, very negative self-talk. Yeah, man, that's mm. um, true right there. So where can people uh, find out more about you, man? Well, right now, um, we're, as far as, like, like, the online stuff or just finding me on Instagram? Um, the online stuff, all your projects okay. and stuff like that. So the the best way to find me right now is just, is just to direct message me. Um, I'm very, very... I'm very active with my social media and all my followers. Uh, and the, the main reason why I am is because I care about everybody that has found my page. And I, I know that, you know, when I first started this whole thing, uh, you know, I had very low following and then gradually, gradually we, we I built up my following. And my goal is to not lose that sense of, uh, accessibility with, with my students. So, it may have to turn into where I do some live sessions throughout the week so everybody can see me at once as opposed to me just answering individuals. Uh, and that's, that just comes with evolution of popularity on Instagram. Uh, as it is mm-hmm. now, I have the accessibility to where I can go in and I can be very responsive with, with all the, the, the followers. And um, so getting an online program is very simple. Uh, it starts out in, um, in the, the, the direct message on Instagram. And uh, that's where the, the conversation will start to arise. Uh, I'll send up the individual the information. Uh, I only offer uh, one package, uh, and then I also offer uh, full customization programming. And, uh, and I, offer, I offer test driving. So I'll send the individual uh, a few templates uh, of, of what uh, maybe a week would look like, of mm-hmm. a typical a general strength program that we do here at the Fieldhouse. And if they like it, great. If not, they're like, hey, coach, I really want to uh, focus on getting um, – complementing my barbell training. And I'm like, okay, cool. Now you want to get into customization. That's going to be a higher price point. But what you're, what you're going to be getting right there is going to 100% complement your main modality of training. Your main modality of training could be jiu-jitsu. It could be Muay Thai. Uh, it could be Olympic weightlifting. Uh, it could be CrossFit, anything that, you, anything that you're doing as your main lift. Then you can use the kettlebells and the mace to complement that because our primary objective is our main focus. And if we can have small little things that help build that, we're going to be happy humans. Uh, and so but everything goes down in my direct message. And uh, uh, what I was saying earlier, we are working on building a website right now. It's pretty advanced mm-hmm. due to the fact mm-hmm. that, all my programming is going to be uploaded into this this website, and it'll be uh, mobile app friendly, so the individual can click on it on their phone, and it's and it's it's a few clicks. The accessibility is going to be the highest importance because we have we our, our time is precious, so you're going to be able to go on, fill out a questionnaire, 
if you can, if you answer the questionnaire and you are able to do everything that's within the questionnaire, then you're going to have the ability to do my programming. If not, you'll be redirected to an email that, that I will uh, uh, converse back and forth with you to talk about specifically where it is that you're at with your fitness. Um, because if I'm going to sell you a program, I want to make sure that you can do all the, the necessary movements to be able to be successful with that program. Um, yeah. And as far as how the individual starts, uh, the individual start with uh, an alpha program, and then they'll move mm -hmm. their all the they'll move all the way through to Zulu. So that's the alphabet, and mm -hmm. every letter of the alphabet is a is a twelve day uh, twelve day routine. Oh, that's rad! Well, I can't wait to check that out, man. Yeah, I'm. In, I'll. Uh, <laughs> Link your Instagram uh, profile uh, in the show notes and also uh, websites for the gym as well. And I'm looking forward uh, to when you release that. Let me know, man. It'll be awesome. Yeah, yeah. The uh, um, that's just going to create some more of um, comfortableness with with a potential student because you know maybe out of every ten students that's looking to get a program, eight of them are kind of apprehensive to talk to me. And if they can mm -hmm. just go into a computer system and answer some questions, and they're like, okay, cool, I didn't have to talk to anybody, and I got the program, and then once I look at it, then I can choose whether or not I want to go and, and chat with Coach Mav. Um, and then um, – but just to tell everybody, I'm very, very open, and, and, and I enjoy talking to, to everybody about what it is that their goals are uh, mm -hmm. so, I can, so I can be helpful to them. The uh, – the, but in the meantime, uh, if anybody needs anything from me, they can just uh, just direct message me on Instagram. I don't use Facebook very often, but if they want to go on Facebook and go to Mavericks Fieldhouse, uh, they can also message me there as well. Okay. Yeah, definitely. You sound like a very great teacher, and I mean, you're very open and a good conversation with me. And yeah, no problem, man. It's a pleasure to have you on, Mavericks. And I'll be sure to hit you up regarding some of those. Uh, uh, kettlebell notes. So. All right. Sounds good, brother, man. Right. Well, it was a, was a pleasure talking to you, and I uh, look forward to hearing from you in the future, sir.